0: This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and
1: Michael Durinda.
0: Um, Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 118. I am... Just my body just decided that it was going to stuff up my nose because I think I am sleep deprived and my body's trying to tell me that I'm doing stupid things and I should go to sleep. But no, I shall not because I'm a glutton for punishment and it is time for the Laravel News podcast. So here we here are. Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, 10, did 10 hours, hours. of work. I carried yeah, rocks not, around. No good.
1: What, am I, uh, what gotta, am I doing? It's Saturday. You gotta, you gotta relax,
0: right? You gotta. It's Mother's Day. Tomorrow. <laughs> it is Mother's Day. That's the truth. It it's day Mother's, Mother's Day tomorrow. And this was this was my wonderful wife's Mother's Day present. She works so much harder for me than ten hours of doing stuff. So, I mean, she makes meals for us most days. You know, almost every day, takes care of the kids mostly while I'm at work. Yeah, I mean, yeah. she's amazing. She's amazing. So, like, she, oh, you know, I owe her big time. So, anyway, we. We dug out all these rock beds behind our house, went and bought hydrangea bushes which she's mm-hmm. wanted for forever. Planted those, washed all the rocks. I went and bought a pressure washer, washed all the rocks, and then put them back. Oh, papered it, and a you know, weed barrier, and then put the rocks back. Oh, and leveled it all out with dirt. Yeah, I ordered dirt, filled dirt, and then put all the dirt. Oh my word, dude! <sighs> when this
1: when this self isolation like, and this pandemic is over, I need to get you down here to do my garden.
0: Yep. Nope. I was like, next. And Laura was like, what did we learn from this? I was like, uh, I'm hiring mm-hmm. this done next time. That's what I learned from this. Because it seems so much faster. It seems like in my head, it's like, oh my word, this isn't going to be that bad. I can do this. You this realize
1: your fine. day job involves nope. sitting in front of a computer for six to eight hours a day. Yes. And when you transition doing that five days yes. a week to on the, on the weekend, deciding that you're going to lift heavy things, it's not a good idea. Yeah, It's never a good idea. It doesn't work. But... I mean I'm very well. I'm getting to the point where I'm getting old and I woke up this morning yes. with a sprained finger. I don't know how I did it. I didn't Oh my I gosh. Didn't, <laughs> I didn't go to bed with a sprained finger. I don't recall waking up in the middle of the night spraining my finger. But geez Louise, does it hurt to the, this morning? It and I can't like I'm having some difficulty happened. bending it and it actually hurts more to straighten it than oh it gosh. than it does to bend it. And it's That's a shame. That's a shame. Like just annoying things. Like, cause I can't, luckily I can still type. I was doing some work before. So I can still type unless I have to like really stretch that, that right, right index finger.
0: <laughs> I've got like a thumb injury right now. I don't know. Like resp- that's probably RSI. The hand things are the like, worst. Oh, yeah,
1: God. The hand things are the worst. Number one, because we use our hands for our yeah, work. Seriously. Right? Yeah, seriously. Number two, when, when you, like it's a small bit of pain that radiates through your hand and then it's just, it's just like an annoying pain. Yeah. And It annoys you because it cripples you so much because it's such a small thing, but you can't use your hand.
0: Yeah, that's frustrating. That's frustrating. Hey, I'm going to go ahead and apologize as well um, because I'm using a different mic tonight because I'm not recording in my room where I normally record. So this is a little Zoom mic that I've got like sitting on my chest and we'll see how this goes. You might have a crappy yeah, time Yeah, hopefully we don't get too long. much. Oh, gosh. Yeah, we'll
1: hopefully we don't have too much uh, rustling yeah. in the background there. We'll see. I, we I, should uh, kick this off and keep, yeah, keep this should. tight for we you. We should. Okay,
0: let's do it. Okay. Welcome, everybody. Episode 118. We're going to kick it off with releases 7.8. Okay, so the Laravel team released 7.8 with new take while and take until collection methods, along with the latest new features, fixes, and changes. Sounds like one of those app releases, right? When you update an app, it's the same thing it says every time. Yeah. New features, yeah. fix and changes. So here's a couple new uh, features in seven to eight. We have redirector signed routes. So you have the ability to uh, redirect to signed routes. Ryan Chandler contributed shortcut methods for generating signed routes from the redirector service. So redirect to, uh, and then you have URL colon colon signed route. Uh, so using signed route and temporary signed route, uh, or, uh, there's another one where instead of saying redirect to, you just say redirect temporary signed route. So just some shortcut methods that you can use. So use cases for these, uh, new methods are relatively edge case. So might advise to read the pull request before reaching for these methods. I do love me a good signed route though. They're super handy. Love them. (laughs) Okay.
1: i'm fighting some sign routes at the moment
0: you're fighting them oh dude so like the one thing that i i do like signed routes but the one thing that i've noticed is uh we had like some weird thing where we were sending somebody to a signed route but there was a form on that page and then if they've got a validation error when redirected back to that signed uh, route. yeah that doesn't work too well
1: yeah i'm uh i'm fighting you know how i said i got those file pond uploads to s3 working yeah, directly yeah, right well it Turns out when it uploads from FilePond to S3, it includes like the the multipart content boundaries, okay. which means that when I actually try and view the file that I've uploaded to S3, because it's got those boundaries as part of the the file itself, yeah. the file is corrupt and doesn't actually display. Oh so gosh. I've got to figure out how to stop that from happening, and I'm sure that'll be another weeks worth exactly. of dissecting yeah, and that's debugging.
0: Jeez. Those uploaders, like I, they were always a nightmare, and I, um, we're using FilePond as well, and I just asked Wilbur power to do it, and he did it, and so he's got all the he's got all the knowledge on that one. If you have a question about FilePond, yeah. hit him up. He'll, he'll oh, hit. I'll hit him up. And this is got, all his fault. Yeah, and he did the S three direct to S three thing as well, so it's it's working, it's working good. Mm. Actually, he's doing it direct to Minio, which is an S3 compatible. Same thing. thing. Okay. So take until, take while collection methods. Joseph Silber contributed a take until and take while collection methods, also making them support lazy collections because he is the master of lazy collections. Joseph is. The documentation has updated details about these two methods as well. So here's some examples of take until method. And uh, until is an alias of take until with this release. So we have, you collect the things and then you take until, and this, I feel like Jason McCurry did this, right? Like he didn't have a collection, like do while or something essentially. Yeah. We talked about it last episode. So we have take until now, which will uh, grab all the items off until a truthy statement is found. Right. And then you just grab the -hmm. values that are left. And then you can also pass a primitive, which is collection until, and then a number. Right? So, say, take the first three values or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Then there's also take while, which, again, will take while uh, a value is true instead of until a value is true. Just swap, swap them out there. Switch them around. Uh, so, there's a couple pull requests, in the show notes we'll throw in there for you, and they're also in the documentation now. We didn't look at the new – it says, well, we didn't look at all the new features. You can find the full list of features below, and you can. Right, They're always in the blog post. If you're interested in seeing all of them, check them all out. Those are the most relevant ones. So that's 7.8. We also had 7.10. Michael, talked to us about that.
1: Yeah, 7.10 is another one of those jam-packed releases by the looks Jam of things. Taylor added packed. Jam-packed. Or well, chockers. Chocker block Chocker block full, as someone suggested to me. Chocker block. Chockers. Chocker block. Chocker block. Uh is actually a British thing, but chocker block it is. Chocker block, all right. So Taylor added to this one uh cache lock support for the database driver. Same session cool. ID request concurrency and limiting and simplified truth test assertions for your test. 7.10 includes quite a few new features along with all the latest fixes and changes in the 7.x branch. So the first one here is truth test assertions using just a closure. So previously, if you were using the mail fake, for example, you would have to do mail fake colon colon assert cute and then pass two parameters. The first one being the uh, mailable that you wanted to assert was queued, and then the second being the closure that accepted that um, mailable as its parameter. So from Laravel 7.10 and above, you can just pass the closure as the one and only thing into that assert queued method and uh, just type hint the uh, mailable in there. So you'd have mail colon colon assert queued function sub picture finished email dollar email. Which makes lots for of example. sense
0: there. Yeah, that makes lots of sense. Yeah. It's a good way to do that. And if
1: you want to keep that even uh even leaner, you can use the short closure syntax in PHP seven point four as well. have so you been using those much? We'll leave that in places. Sometimes I use it and then regret it. I know. Because it's not always more readable. Yeah, that's the um, that's
0: the trick, right? And it has to be on the one line. So eh, whatever.
1: Yeah. It's good in places and, and not not so in others. Sure. So if if I'm just doing like a really simple inline assertion or a test, or if I'm doing like a a filter operation on a collection, they kind of work there. But uh, because oh because they're not multi line, it's it's a bit annoying. It, it will be nice if PHP does end up supporting multi line short closures, because then you don't have to worry about the the use scoping and having to pass right, any exactly. extra parameters yeah. in there that way.
0: Yeah, I do like that. Mm.
1: Uh, Next up, Taylor Orwell contributed a long requested feature around session concurrency. The PR implemented a long requested feature. Oh, look at that. I will repeat what I I just said. (laughs) The PR implements a long requested feature for blocking concurrency requests from the same session until previous requests have finished. The basic use case being prevention of concurrent requests, writing conflicting data to the session and data being lost. Um, There's more to that and obviously the code will make it clearer. There will be a link to that in the show notes.
0: So what's the what's the what's the problem here though, right? I mean, the problem is that like you might have a like so let's say you have JSON requests, right, that come in and somebody I don't know, double clicks it and for the first one, the first one is blocking for some reason and the second one makes it through before the first one or something like that. Is that kind of the idea? So, so essentially what this does is it says lock any requests from the session of that particular user from updating anything until the current request is completed. Mm-hmm. Gotcha?
1: Yeah, essentially, there's a lot of issues with concurrency and, and requests coming to the server from the same user. Sure. And there's a lot of there's been a lot of discussion for that over a number of years. The the most recent discussion on the framework repository was like 2017. So that seems like you know, a really cool a, idea. A, yeah. So um, there's definitely a lot of discussion on that topic. And as I said, there will be links in the show notes if you want to dive deeper into that. But it looks like Taylor has fixed that up. And that has figured at uh, has added configurable block time at a global and possibly also route level. The ability to opt into blocking at route level only, configurable case driver to use for session blocking, and database lock support. So yeah, I think that was definitely check that check that out.
0: That was that one the one piece that I think was kind of like blocking him on this was he wanted the database adapter essentially, right? He wanted to be able to use yeah. the database not just for people mm-hmm. who have Redis or whatever. Yeah, and that's and so yeah, that's pretty awesome. I'll stop interrupting. Yes. You, I promise. Go ahead.
1: Uh, Next up, also from Taylor, who has been on a bit of a mission to go through some of the older outstanding issues on the the framework in the last couple of weeks. Um, Taylor contributed the ability to run pagination queries with group by or having statements that has been a long standing issue in Laravel going back to the very beginning of the framework. The solution was suggested by at a Kazar years ago, and Taylor happened to write it off at the time. But honestly, I think it's a lot better than what we have now. So bringing it back up for consideration. Uh, So that has been fixed up. That is the ability to do pagination counts as a subquery. Again, we won't dive into the code. And I think Paul Redmond has been kind by not including any sample code in his articles so we don't get uh, tricked into reading them. (laughs) (laughs) Next up, Adrian Lelou contributed an artisan make cast console command which takes the name of a cast and saves it in the app cast directory and generates a class that implements the cast attributes interface, which is nice. It's uh, one of the ones that was missing when I was working with some cast recently, so it's nice to have that that make command available to us now. Christoph Rumpel contributed a test assertion for database table counting. And I like this one because a lot of the times I would do an assert equals and then do a count query, whereas we can now do an assert database count uses comma number, and then you'll get a, a failure for a failed assertion on that, saying that, for example they failed asserting that the table uses matches the expected entries count of 50. And then it will tell you how many entries were actually found. So that's that's mm. handy. And yeah, that, that again, is nice. shortcuts. Because it's always nasty when you have to, um you know use assert database has, assert database doesn't have. And then if you want to do an assertion against a database count, you need to then do a assert equals and then run a query manually. We typically don't use the assert database has methods in our tests at work purely because we have, yeah, models that are spread are, yeah. across different connections well they're on different connections so it's uh, otherwise you have to know what the connection is and you have to know what the table name is. So we do a lot of our database assertions just using the models because then eloquent handles all of the connection specific stuff for us and we know that you know if we're calling you know invoice colon colon count we know that it's already going to be running that query against the correct connection and giving us the data we need so just a just a preference but it's a lot easier that way because that way you don't have to pass all the extra parameters and know what they are and look them up and, and things like that. So anyway, slight divergence. Next up, we have the auth mode for the SMTP mail driver, which is config, c- contributed by at KP. Sometimes it's useful to set explicit auth mode when you do not want to handle it by, you don't want the mail driver to handle it for you automatically. So possible values are null, plain, login, or cram-md5. So if that's something that you've needed, you can do that now through your mail config. We've also added a hasNameScope to the base model, which was contributed by Alex Bowers and Graham Campbell in a number of different PRs around model scopes. First, Alex contributed the hasScope method on the base model, which cleans up checking if a scope exists in a dynamic way. The use case for this is requests containing an array of filters to be applied via scopes. The code is much more expressive now. Um, The method name changed from hasNameScoped in the final 7.10 release. The model is a source of truth for if a scope exists, but when the builder bypasses it to call the scope method, instead we should delegate to the model and the PI addresses this and provides a re- reusable way to apply scopes. So definitely check that out if you're ever wanting to do a has scope check on your models. And the last thing that we'll circle back to that we mentioned earlier in, the, in this piece is the cache lock support for the database cache driver, which was contributed by Taylor, of course, and it's been inspired by Symfony's lock component PDO store. You can check out the pull request, which we'll have links to in the show notes. As I said, big release, lots Huge. of uh, additions, lots of lots of fixes, and and a few changes as well. So jam definitely check that out.
0: Packed, jam packed.
1: Chuckers,
0: jam packed. Okay. Um. So that's it for releases. So now we're on to the news, and in the news, the first one we have is GitHub Codespaces. Are you signed up for the beta? No. No. What in the world. Come on. Just, I
1: have no interest in running a code editor in the browser.
0: Running a what? No. Nah. A code editor I have in no the interest yeah. in running. No. Nah, what do you know use more. right now, Vim? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I was going to say, if anybody uses code, you pretty much are running it in the browser because it's like Electron, right? So
1: Yeah, VS Code. Yep.
0: Yeah. So anyway.
1: Anyway, tell us more about it.
0: Yeah, okay. So, um, you know, GitHub launched this new feature named Codespaces, which is a complete dev environment within GitHub. So it allows you to contribute uh, immediately to a code base that you're taking a look at. So here's some of the cool features that they have with it. So basically, they they want to give the premise for why they're solving this problem, which is that every repository has its own way of configuring a dev environment. So this requires sometimes dozens of steps before you can write any code. And even worse, sometimes the environment of two projects you're working on conflict with one another. So Codespaces basically gives you a fully featured cloud-hosted dev environment that spins up in seconds directly within GitHub so you can start contributing to a project immediately. Some of the really cool things that they have are that it can be configured to load your code and dependencies, developer tools, extensions, and dot .files. That was pretty interesting, right? It's like literally Mm -hmm. not just a vanilla editor. You can customize it to fit the needs of the repository. Uh, Switching between environments is simple. You can navigate away at any time, and when you switch back, your code space is automatically reopened. So it includes a browser-based version of the full VS code editor so the entire thing with support for code completion navigation extensions terminal access etc etc also if you prefer to use your desktop ide you can start a session on github and connect it to your desktop which is pretty cool uh they have pricing for code spaces which has not yet been finalized but it's free just to edit code uh in the Mm -hmm. in the online version but uh, they say they plan to offer simple pay as you go pricing uh, similar to GitHub Actions for things like computationally intensive tasks, like builds or things like that, right? Yeah. Uh, but during the beta, CodeSpace is completely free. So if you want to sign up for it, you can go to. Let's see if they have a link. Do we have a link?
1: There will be a link in the show notes. There we yeah. go.
0: There will be a link in the show notes. So there we go. That's CodeSpace. It'll be
1: and- it'll be interesting to see how Amazon's Cloud Nine functionality. Do they own cloud with this now as a competitor, they do. They bought cloud nine a while not know ago, that. yeah. Okay. So it's the same kind of thing, it's cloud based IDE. Yeah, I had a guy that it, was using that a long I, time ago. I now. don't know, yeah. yeah, I don't know what it's based on or anything like that, but it's something that's still available. They charge like a dollar per compute minute or something like that. Huh. Compute fees, money hours a month cost you like a dollar, so it'll be interesting to see. Did you, know you how say it compares. 90 hours a
0: month. 90 hours per you a dollar. Month. Wow. That's pretty good. Mm. Okay. So it would be interesting. Yes, indeed. Okay, moving on. We've got Laracon 2020. Laracon Online 2020.
1: Laracon Online. Officially, it is now taken over net, the laracon.net uh, website. And as most of our listeners, I think, by now are aware that Laracon US 2020 was canceled due to COVID-19, due to travel restrictions around the world. And as hinted at the time, Laracon 2020 was going to become an online event filled with, of course, amazing speakers and the latest Laravel announcements. We now have more details and a beautiful updated website, which, as I said, you can check out at laracon.net. Yeah. Taylor announced the news on the Laravel blog, including this new detail about the broader global Laravel community being able to participate in major feature announcements each year. Quoting Taylor now, typically I make the year's major feature announcements live on stage at Laracon US. This is an incredibly exciting time, but it bothers him that many people around the world will never get a chance to experience those announcements live. Sure, that makes sense. Obviously, the the travel and cost implications of, of getting to a Laracon US is very difficult. Previously, only those in attendance at Laracon US would hear firsthand about new exciting features and products in the ecosystem, and still now the global audience can be in attendance and learn about this year's features firsthand. This change will stay in place after this year, and in fact, you can count on this being part of the major announcements each year if you choose to attend Laracon online. Quoting Taylor again, this is where I'll be sharing all of the cool features and tools coming in the next release of Laravel with thousands of developers in over 100 countries around the world. He's decided to make this a main venue that he makes major feature announcements beyond 2020 as well, and wants to make sure as many developers as possible are able to stream and chat about the latest Laravel goodies. The same speaker lineup that was planned for Laracon US 2020 remains in place and in place and more speaker announcements are to come as we get closer to the date. Laracon online event for those of you who are interested that normally takes place in February will feature a new format to differentiate it from the summer event and exact details will be forthcoming so stay tuned for that. Taylor did mention in his announcement that a live in-person event is possible in 2021 and in fact that the event will likely have a more of an emphasis on deep diving into the nitty gritty details of the features and announcements that are made during the online event. Obviously, we'd love to see as many of your faces, I guess, digitally <laughs> as possible. We may not see your faces, but we'll see your presence online. Tickets are just $29 and you can grab them at laracon.net.
0: We got our tickets. We got our hotels. No, I'm just kidding. We had to cancel our hotels. I'm thinking of just... I don't know. We'll see where it's at with the COVID stuff. But uh, we might have a little live viewing party like we have had in the past. Mm.
1: There was, I think I saw some tension on Twitter about sort of recommending that the the viewing parties continue and things like that.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it depends, right? I mean, it depends on how far we are through this thing, like what the states and countries and whatever are doing at that point. So we'll see. Depending on how large yeah. the size of the meeting is, it might not be any problem at all. Right. Like if you have less yeah. than 10 people by the time Laricon Online happens, less than 10 people is probably mm-hmm. going to be just fine. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We shall see. Okay. We've got Tailwind stuff coming up here. This is pretty cool. I am actually really excited about these uh, new features that are released in 1.3. I'm also excited that Jason Beggs is the man writing about it. Go, Jason. Jason mm-hmm. is quite the. Uh, Tailwind Afeccionado these days and Alpine. He I is. believe he's really into Alpine yeah. too, right? Yeah. So, and maybe Liveware? Maybe Liveware. Kevin McKee's really into that. Tall,
1: that tall stack. That tall stack.
0: The tall stack. Yeah. So, right. speaking of Tailwind, Tailwind 1.3 was tagged this week with some really Really helpful additions. The two big ones are space and divider utilities. Uh, there's also inline grid and flow root utilities, transition delay utilities, and more flexible container customization. So we're going to hit each one of those. So space utilities and divide utilities. These are really cool. So the space utilities are represented as a class of space dash X dash and then a number, right? So or space dash Y dash a number of these utilities uh, add and make it easier to add consistent spacing between all children of an element. So previously what you'd have to do is you'd have to add a class like MB4, right? Margin bottom four to every child except for, or MT, I guess, MT4 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you'd have to add it to the to every class except for the first. Well, now you can just add space dash X dash four to the wrapper element and Tailwind will handle that. So it'll, it'll handle putting it on all the child elements uh, except for that first one or, yeah, I think the first one. I think it's, it does it except for the first one. The divide utilities are similar. You have divide dash x dash number, divide dash y dash number, uh, or also divide dash color. These utilities were added to make it easier to add borders between elements. Think like on your navigation, like if you had like a, a vertical bar between each one, or something like that, or if you were mm-hmm. doing uh, vertical, you'd have horizontal bars, right? So it'll exclude the outside edges of uh, of those children, right? You also have transition delay utilities. So if you did not know, uh, animation utilities, I think, are now in uh, there. So now we have transition delay utilities. So so you can say, don't do it for a period of time, right? So don't do it for 0.25 seconds, like, wait, wait you also have inline grid and flow dash root you'll have to take a look a little bit deeper for those I'm not going to take the time to explain those because they're a little bit complex you have container customization as well so if you use the class dot container it kind of sets up a max width for you for each specific um, breakpoint that you're on but now what you also have the ability to do is add a different amount of padding for each breakpoint within uh, that so as you're mm-hmm. using dot container uh, you might have uh horizontal padding that would alter based on which particular breakpoint you're in. So if you're on mobile, maybe you want it to be 2 rems and if you're on extra large, maybe you want it to be 5 rems. That would totally make sense and we've done that before. Uh so it's a cool addition. So there we go. So that's Tailwind 1.3. We've also got a really cool announcement about something that they just started to s- decided to roll right in the Tailwind. Michael, what's that going on?
1: Yeah, shortly on the heels of tailwind 1.3 we now got tailwind 1.4 adam has definitely been on fire cranking out feature after feature and release after release tailwind 1.4 brings new color opacity new color opacity utilities that allow you to control the opacity of colors without explicitly defining the variations in your config file previously if you wanted to make a semi-transparent black background you'd have to use something like black dash 0.5 colon and then specify the rgba values to add uh, add color objects in your tailwind config file. Now you can just use BG Black, BG Opacity 50 to achieve the same thing directly in your markup. That's really nice. Opacity utilities have been added for background colors, text colors, border colors, divider colors, and placeholder colors, and it is not fully compatible with IE 11, but does provide a graceful fallback. That's
0: that's actually really funny to me. Like, well, I guess maybe not. Like I was thinking you just do opacity 0.5, but that's not at all what you do because it's included in the RGBA. Of the color. Yeah. I did not yeah. know RGBA was not compatible with I eleven. Did you?
1: No, but yeah. only because I refuse to support IE eleven. Yeah. So hey, it, I don't really care.
0: Sure. Speaking of IE eleven, they have IE eleven target mode yes. as well, which you'll talk about in a minute.
1: There is. Uh, Before we get to that, though, Purge CSS is a post-CSS plugin that can be optionally set up along with Tailwind to remove any unused CSS classes that aren't used anywhere in your markup. Which you should do. Before Tailwind, that's right, before Tailwind 1.4, you'd have to manually set it up in your build pipeline and be sure to configure it properly, work with Tailwind. Tailwind 1.4, however, includes Purge CSS by default. And for the basic and most common setup, all you need to do is add a purge key to your tailwind.config.js file and pass an array of paths to your markup so for us we would have dot um, slash resources views and resources js and resources css and it would just go through there in your production build only and strip out anything that you're not using in any of those locations and that will cut your file down from i think tailwind's probably around two and a half megabytes at a full build and it gets it down to you know a handful of kilobytes and then you gzip it and it's next enough. yeah pretty so, much
0: it's really nice
1: in most, in most cases, the default setup will work great, but if you do need to pass additional options to purge CSS, you can easily do that. And of course, we have a, a link to an article, or sorry, a, a link to the documentation on the Tailwind CSS website, which tells you all about those options. And lastly, as you mentioned, IE 11. Some of the latest features introduced in Tailwind have not been fully IE11 compatible because of the use of CSS variables and custom properties. Previously, it's been left up to Tailwind users to remember which features those are and to not use them. However, Tailwind 1.4 has introduced a new experimental IE11 target mode that will remove features that aren't compatible with Tailwind or provide graceful degradation to support simpler versions in some cases. To use it, you simply need to add a... Target key with IE11 as the value to your tailwindconfig.js file and recompile your CSS. Um, Again, as this feature is marked as experimental, use it at your own peril. Adam has reserved the right to make breaking changes outside of the normal semantic versioning policies.
0: This seems really smart too. I mean, like I think this is a great balance, right? We're not going to support IE11, but we'll make it easier for you to make sure you don't break IE11, right? I think Mm -hmm. it's a really good compromise. It's like, uh, I don't know, it's just very thoughtful and considerate of people who would like to be able to use it who also have to support IE11. So it's definitely not something that they have to do, but they're just choosing to do uh, for the developer experience. So I think that's really kind of them. Mm -hmm. Nice job, guys. Okay, Uh, what's next? We've got learning and keeping up to date with the Laravel podcast. Okay, so I'm going to make this confusing for you guys and girls. We have the Laravel podcast which is hosted by Matt Stauffer, which used to be hosted by Sean McCool, which also had Jeffrey and Taylor on as regular guests. But now it's Matt Stauffer, and he does it differently. He has different seasons, and it's cool. Anyway, Eric Barnes, our fearless leader, was on the Laravel podcast recently, and he talked about learning and keeping up to date with Laravel, how he does it. He also called out Mr. Dorinda, my co-host, for loving Vim and bought a uh, cameo that he posted on Twitter and we all had a good mm-hmm. laugh at Michael's expense. And then Michael replied with mm-hmm. another Twitter uh, post of a cameo and we had a good laugh at Eric's expense. So, and actually at both of their expense, because it's also quite expensive to buy a cameo. So at everyone, at, you know, at Michael and Eric's expense, we all get to have a good laugh. So thank you, Michael <laughs> and Eric. That was good. If you haven't got a chance to listen to the podcast though, you definitely should. And looping back. Those, uh, go ahead. Sorry. Those, go ahead.
1: those, those cameos got twice as expensive uh since we purchased them so we have made a pact that we will not spend any more money on cameo but i don't think you've heard the last of the the vim debate yeah it's funny i think there's more
0: that's funny what i was going to say is there's the laravel podcast there's the laravel snippet there's the laracast snippet there's the laravel news podcast there's got to be more i don't know maybe I don't know. Laravel it's Daily. There Laravel is, Daily podcast. There is I lots.
1: I don't think I don't think Pavilas has got a, a podcast, but he does crank out a lot of content on YouTube.
0: Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Okay. Um, so that was that one. And that is all the news. We've got one tutorial and then we've got four packages. So we're almost there. Whew, here we go. Tutorials. All right, talk to us about PHP C S Fixer.
1: Yes. PHP C S Fixer is an open source tool that can enforce and detect or probably detect and enforce violations of your PHP coding styles, it is like a or it is a self-hosted vert variant of something like StyleCI, which does the, the fixes automatically for you in your pull requests. With predefined rules, it allows you to have a strict coding style that is enforced by the tool so that you can spend time on more important things and you don't have to have those nitpicky conversations when you're starting to go through pull requests because you just set the style and off it goes. There's a number of rules that you can configure with PHP CS Fixer and add to your code base. For example, you can mandate that instead of using the is underscore null function, that you need to do a, a strict comparison. So instead of doing is null account arrow closed at, you would do account arrow closed at triple equals null. PHP CS Fixer would handle converting the former to the latter for you. It'll also allow you to enforce things like using the multibyte string functions instead of the default string functions. So that gives you better confidence that you're supporting UTF-8 characters, for example. And you can um, require that you have your unary operators, for example, like the exclamation mark, must have a space after the exclamation mark. All of this stuff you can discuss until the cows come home, but remembering to do it manually is a bit of a pain. But the available rules are very comprehensive. There, There's literally you know hundreds of them, and it's always growing in number. You can see a full list of them, which we'll link to in the show notes. And you can also check out uh, the PHP CS fixer configuration that Tim McDonald, who wrote this article, has included. There is a version that JMAC has published as part of Laravel Shift that is as close to the Laravel coding guidelines and format that you will find outside of Style CI. Beyond fixing styles, it can often be used as an upgrade tool as well. PHP Unit 8, for example, added a void return type to several methods, and you can use PHP CSFix's void return rule over the slash test directory to instantly upgrade your test suite, making it compatible with those changes. But this article is more around sharing your rules. Tim goes into further detail using PHP CS Fixer across all of my projects have a rule set that defines the style. I typically just copy and paste them from yeah, app to app right, as I need them. Um, up until now, Tim has been doing the same thing. Every time he starts a project, he copies and pastes the, the file. And as new rules come out, he has to update the config file across all of the existing projects, which is obviously not an ideal workflow, as you can easily forget to update a specific project. And it's a bunch of manual work. It turns out, however, that it is possible to share your rules across multiple projects, and teams that use Composer Update will have uh, all your projects using the latest version of the rule set at any given time. So basically, he goes into detail about scaffolding out a repository that's just for holding onto your uh, PHP CS configuration and talks about defining your rules in there, um, namespacing everything, getting everything all set up, and then consuming the shared rules in your downstream packages so it's setting up a a vcs or a git based repository in your composer.json and you can just pull that in as a dev dependency and run that across your application so it even goes into talking about using it in ci as well so we typically will run uh, we're using style ci but you can use php cs fixer with a dry run option and it will return a non-zero exit code if that dry run does actually detect any changes that need to be made and it will fail your build. So you know that things have got to be um, updated in there. The nice thing about style CI though is that if it detects that there's things that need to be changed, it can automatically commit those changes to your repository so that your CI build can continue and you can go along your merry little pull request reviewing ways. So, so yeah. um, that, that, that article is, is a lot bigger than what I um, breezed over. Definitely check it out if you are interested in using PHP CS Fixer and sharing it amongst multiple projects.
0: People also say, right, like, why do people, um, what do they say? Like when somebody comes up with a SaaS solution, they're like, well, this already exists. Like PHP CS Fixer already does that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, it does. And I don't know who I was imitating there. I'm not sure whose voice that was. But anyway, Style CI by Graham Campbell, longtime Laravel community member. I use Style CI. I love it. And it's so nice because Mm -hmm. there's just like a Laravel config. Yep. Drop it in there. And that's it. It's done. Exactly. And it not only handles PHP, it also handles Vue and JS. So if I'm using Vue, and I'm sure maybe if I talk to him, he'll like have like, well, an Alpine, here's an Alpine one too, right? But it looks at all this stuff and just fixes all of it and then submits a pull request and then makes me happy. I don't have have to think about it. It just happens. So it's pretty nice,
1: unless you then want to pull that branch down again, or you want to push more changes to that branch, and the style CI has changed yes, things, and then you is, end up yes. with conflicts, and you've got to pull and then push.
0: Yeah, you got to pull, and push. You got it. Yeah, I, which I, is something that constantly
1: that. irritates Aaron, which I find amusing. Yeah, but yeah. I I have found that since using the PHP CS Fixer configuration that Jamac publishes with Laravel Shift, uh-huh. the number of times where I actually run into any code style collisions that 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 lead to that issue is basically next to none. And I just have that run on save automatically. That's pretty nice. So whenever I save right out my buffer, it will automatically apply any CS fixes that need to be done. And I can't remember, honestly, the last time that I had any issues pulling down a branch that were style-related because I very rarely see style CI making any changes to my code from there.
0: It's pretty nice. It's pretty nice. Let's check into that. Yeah. Okay, we're moving on to packages here. And the first one I've got here is an interesting one. It's called Open Food Facts API. Do you remember those, like, apps? There's maybe probably still out there. I can't remember what it was, like, Calorie Buddy or something like that. I can't remember what it was called. But mm-hmm. you basically oh, yeah, s- I'm using one right now. scan, like, a product. Like, scan the barcode. And tell you. tell you, like, mm-hmm. here's how many calories it is. And here's, you know, what ingredients and what allergens and what nutrition facts there are. And miscellaneous mm-hmm. things found on the label, right? All that. Well, basically, Open Food Facts is a free food product database that you can use to make better food choices. So, the developers of Open Food Facts have an API library for Laravel, which provides a convenient wrapper to the Open Foods Facts API. So, it makes it really easy to use in your Laravel app. You just drop it in, uh, you use it uh, in your app calling Open Food Facts colon colon, and then any of the methods they have defined there. Uh, for instance, barcode. So, you say Open Food Facts colon colon barcode pass in the barcode, and it will return all of the values that they have. Uh, Again, those are like things like the ingredients, the allergens, nutrition facts, etc. You can also find products matching a term. So Open Food Facts Find Coca-Cola Zero or something like that, right? So anyway, you can learn more about this package, get full installation instructions, or view the source code on GitHub at OpenFoodFacts-Laravel, or, of course, you can check it out in the show notes. Okay, we've also got this uh, query monitor for, uh, it's a CLI tool for the query monitor talk to me about that
1: yes query monitor is a laravel package by Suplu, which i assume without looking into it is a company i think so Yeah, and it monitors real-time queries using an artisan command Supleu query monitor is a library for monitoring queries in real time using a laravel artisan command it essentially opens a socket listening and displays on a terminal any queries that are executed in your laravel application The command line interface runs in the foreground and updates the console when new queries are run in the application. Under the hood, this package uses ReactPHP, uh, which is an event-driven non-blocking IO with PHP. This query monitor package is an excellent example of using React's PHP server and connector classes to communicate between the application and the open socket. And this is actually a really nice tool. I was speaking with Jonathan Rennick the other day when I was trying to figure out how to profile queries that are running outside of a web request. So when I was looking at things that were running inside console commands and webhooks and things like that, when you don't actually see what's running, sure. he suggested using Telescope, which is which is a great way of, of profiling those things in your development environment. But the this command line package would probably be a nice way of doing that as well. So you could hit an endpoint in your application that fires an event or a job onto a queue, which then runs, and then you'd be able to see all the queries that are being run as part of that process from the command line as well. So, Especially for to somebody like you,
0: Suplio. who's in Vim, right? So you can just open it as yeah. another window right next to it, and there you go.
1: Yep, we would just all be there. I love having interactive tools like that that just do things. It keeps me, like, on one screen. Yeah, exactly. It's, I, I really... Less
0: context it, switching. It
1: irritates me that I that I have to have a browser window open at all, because it's like I've got to have it on another screen. Yeah. Otherwise, it's going backwards and forwards. Yeah, it's for just sure. tedious, but... It's nice to just have everything in, in one place and, and not having to worry about it too much.
0: Absolutely. Hey, do you use Tmux, by the way? I do use Tmux. I've used yep. it a couple of times, but you're going to have to give me some crash. I'll, I'll message you next time I have a problem with it. Yeah. Yeah. Control B. Okay. We've got another package here for Horizon. So if you don't use Horizon, you should. It's amazing. Uh, for any of your queued jobs that you need to handle, Horizon is quite amazing. Uh, But one of the things you have to do in order to go see the stats for Horizon is go to your tool, whatever, slash Horizon. Then you have to log in and then go to the Horizon dashboard, et cetera. If you happen to have Nova on that same application, you might just wish that you could go to one spot to view all those things. I do. I actually have one application that has Telescope Horizon and Nova all running on there. It's a very slimmed down version of Telescope. I'm just looking at a couple things. But it would be really nice to be able to go into Nova and see the Horizon stats. And so this tool, this package, does exactly that. It's a Horizon Statistics dashboard for Laravel Nova. So it allows you to see basically all the things that you would see in your Horizon dashboard, but now in Nova. And I think that's where I'm going to leave it I mm. I don't really think there's a whole lot. There are some other things that it talks about in here. But you can look at it yourself. That's the idea. If you ever looked at a Horizon dashboard and you'd like to see it in Nova, this package does that for you. Ta-da. That one's done. Yeah,
1: It's pretty nice. Yeah, pretty it nice. Is.
0: It is nice. Okay, we've also got this RESTQL. Go ahead and talk to us. What is this one?
1: The next one we've got is a uh, data resolution package for your Laravel models, contributed by Gregory Pineda. This package tries to adopt GraphQL principles, solving only the data, serving only the data that the client requests. RESTQL uses your Laravel models as an entry point to add queries to, then base on the eloquent methods. The package has data resolution clauses, which are a way to improve queries based on parameters provided by the client. It's restful, but it does use principles from GraphQL. I won't try and read the code, but it looks pretty simple and straightforward to get up and running. Uh, You can call it using Axios and get some JSON back from it. Uh, You can learn more about the package, get the full installation instructions and view the source code on GitHub. We will have links to all of that in the show notes. Thanks very much to Gregory Pinedas.
0: There we go. Hey, guys, I think that wraps us up. I think this, uh, that's, that's the end of it. So this was episode 118. Thanks so much for joining us. Find show notes for this episode at podcast.laravel-news.com slash 118. If you liked the show, uh, or if you liked the show, excuse me, feel free to uh, give us a wonderful rating in your podcatcher of choice. Hit that subscribe button if this is your first time listening. We'd appreciate that as well. And, of course, share it with your friends. If you have any questions, hit us up on Twitter at Jacob and at Michael Durenda at Laravel News. And for me, I'm signing out. Happy belated Mother's Day since you're not going to hear this until afterwards. Hope it was wonderful. Uh, Hope you took time to celebrate all those special women in your life. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you in a fortnight. In two weeks. In a fortnight.